Okay, good evening and welcome to the February 2024 meeting of the San Francisco Animal Commission. My name is Michael Angelo Torres and I'm your commission chairperson. We're holding our meeting at City Hall tonight. Members of the public are invited to attend our meetings in person or remotely via WebEx. For those of you who are interested in how our commission works or serving on this commission, please visit our website at sf.gov forward slash animal commission, agendas, minutes, any supporting documents, links to our social media accounts, and videos of our past meetings can be found at our website. Video of this evening's meeting will be available on our website by tomorrow afternoon. Commissioner Tobin, please take roll when you are ready. Chair Torres. Here. Here. Vice Chair Ozenoy. Here. Commissioner Fagundes. Here. Commissioner Garfinkel. Here. Commissioner Reed. Here. Commissioner Van Horn. Here. And I'm Jane Tobin. I'm here. Uh, Deputy Director Amy Corso. Here. From SFACC. Uh, Christopher Campbell of SF Rec and Park is not here. Dr. George Hahn of DP um, Department of Public Health is not here, nor is Officer Greg Sutherland of the San Francisco Police Department. Great, thank you. Okay, uh, moving on to general public comment. At this time, members of the public may address the commission with comments on items within the commission's jurisdiction. Please note that the glue trap prohibition ban, I'm sorry, prohibition act and reporting from animal care and control agenda items have their own public comment period. So please wait for those public comment periods if you wish to make a comment on either of those items. Just a reminder that remote meeting attendees are no longer able to provide public comment except as legally required to enable people with disabilities to participate in our meetings. If you are not able to attend our meeting in person and wish to comment, we encourage you to submit a written public comment. These can be sent via email to michaelangelo.torres at sfdph.org. Please be sure to write public comment in the message subject line. Written public comments will be acknowledged during the meeting and will also be shared on the meeting's agenda page on our website. Written public comments need to be received by 5.30 p.m. the day before our meeting. We did receive two written communications, which we will acknowledge during the reporting from SF ACC agenda item. These communications can be found on the agenda page for tonight's meeting on our website. Members of the public will have two minutes to provide a comment. When making your comment, please direct your comment to the commission as a whole, as opposed to individual commissioners. Okay, I'm gonna open this up for public comment. Do we have anyone attending who would like to make a public comment? If so, please approach the podium. Thank you. Commissioner Tobin, you're okay with doing that? Okay, thank you so much. Okay. Hi, uh, this is Elva Granite. I'm a former volunteer at ACC. Leaving vulnerable nursing mother cats and their kittens outdoors to risk additional and new pregnancies death by disease, predators, or intemperate weather, when there is an option of making use of experienced foster volunteers, is not humane care and control of animals. Refusing to admit stray, friendly, healthy-looking cats who are all too often dumped, lost miles away from their homes, not healthy, though they may appear so, frequently unneutered or unspayed, is not doing the job of caring for or making responsible effort to control San Francisco's animal population. Just because UC Davis is influencing these types of counterproductive, foolhardy policies nationwide does not mean that San Francisco animal care and control should continue to go along with policies enabling 
fertile cats to run around neighborhoods and parks. It appears to me that ACC is increasingly contributing to a problem that we all used to be in the forefront of solving. Thank you. Okay, thank you for your comment, Elva. Anyone else would like to make a comment? Okay, seeing none, we are going to close um, public comment. Uh, moving on to the next item, approval of draft minutes from the January 2024 meeting. Uh, the draft minutes for our January meeting was distributed to commissioners earlier this week, and I believe everyone has had a chance to review them. Are there any questions, comments, or corrections to the draft minutes before voting? Okay, seeing none, when I call your name, please state yes if you're in favor of approving the minutes or no if you're not in favor. Uh, Commissioner Bagandes? Yes. Commissioner Garfinkel? Yes. Commissioner Ozernon? Yes. Commissioner Reed? Yes. Commissioner Tobin? Yes. And Commissioner Van Horn? Yes. Okay, thank you. The January meeting minutes are approved. Moving on to chairperson and commissioner's reports. Commissioner's reports regarding recent activities in the community involving animal issues that have been discussed by the commission in the past. I do have one that I would like to share. This is in follow up to um, the letters of support concerning the request from uh, Sulala um, Animal Rescue that the commission approved last month. Uh, I did hear back from um, from uh, Animals Australia, which is uh, an organization that's helping to try and get uh, the animal, the pet supplies and food uh, to the rescue in Gaza. Uh, they wrote, they posted a letter and it says, thank you for getting back to us and letting me know about the wonderful work you're doing with the San Francisco Animal Commission. Every single action we take to raise awareness about the plight of animals in Gaza is so very important, and please pass our gratitude on to the whole team there. We have some good news yesterday that I'm happy to be able to relay. The two tons of food and veterinary supplies that we put together for Zulala should be with them any moment now. Of course, until it's in Saeed's hands, nothing is certain, but we are hopeful that today or tomorrow they will have the vital supplies they so desperately need. Thank you again for helping purchase those supplies, Michael, and for all the for all that you all do to make the world a kinder place. So I just wanted to share that with everyone. From what I understand, though, based on a more recent update, one tenth of the supplies have gotten to Sulala, and um, the rest of it is still being held up at the Egyptian border. But we hope, with hope, that hopefully there'll be a better update and there'll be more progress at some time. So thanks, everyone, again. Is there anyone else who has a report to share or any kind of anything? Okay, uh, seeing none, we will go on to new business. Glue Trap Prohibition Act, HR 7018. Uh, the commission will discuss proposed congressional legislation being introduced by Representative Ted, Ted Liu uh, from California District 36, which I believe is Manhattan Beach in Southern California, to ban the use, sale, and distribution of glue traps and vote to support the proposed. So we're going to vote. So we're going to hear a discussion about that. And then we're going to vote to support the proposed legislation and also vote to provide a letter to Representative Nancy Pelosi requesting co sponsorship. Uh, Commissioner Rosenoy, will you please introduce this item when you're ready? Thank you so much. Um, thank you, commissioners. I, as you know, have had this on my commissioner agenda since I joined the commission. 
Um, I know that there will be no disagreement here that glue traps are an inhumane, vile way of pest control um, that causes needless suffering. And I um, just taking a step back, uh, you know, we had um, Allison from Wildcare SF uh, present to us last May the full presentation on um, glue traps. Um, and the both the the damage that they cause and the collateral damage to the small animals that get trapped um, that are not the intended rodents that these traps are meant to um, uh, eradicate. Um, as in my own uh, volunteer work in wildlife rehab, I mean we have had um, lizards, small squirrels, um, birds, hummingbirds, uh, frogs, snakes. Um, get get trapped on these um, glue boards, and then unless they're taken care of immediately and you know seen by um, a licensed rehabber, they will torment themselves. They, I don't want to get graphic, but they will suffer and be tortured until they die, usually of starvation and dehydration. Um, uh, as you all know, uh, so, so you know since I joined the commission, I've been trying to um, make. It that San Francisco um, goes ahead and bans uh, the sale and use of glue traps here in the city. But back in April, as you probably remember, the city of West Hollywood became the first city in the US to um, actually ban the sale and use of, of glue traps. Um, so they beat us to it. Um, but uh, they were at the forefront of the declawing issue as well. Um, and then we followed uh, here in San Francisco. Um, but in the meantime, um, there's other uh, municipalities and other states and now on a federal level that are um, attempting to ban the use and sale of blue traps. Um, the state of New Hampshire has uh, introduced legislation um, to that effect. But obviously, the most recent news, the most exciting news is back in January, um, Representative Liu introduced the bill um, for a federal ban on the use and sale of food traps. Um, I spoke to uh, I spoke to um, one of my contacts at PETA and also um, one of the working group that I've been involved with uh, to sort of determine how this came about um, as far as what what prompted uh, Representative Liu to uh, engage in this. And um, they said that West Hollywood is part of the jurisdiction, which I Thought it was not, but but they said it was, and that he became interested in it at that time. Um, and since April, they've they've just you know had countless meetings to get this on the agenda. Um, uh, Congressman Adam Schiff is a co-sponsor, but um, they are hoping to get as many as many advocacy groups, um, rehab centers, uh, and um, obviously uh, people to um, get on board and try to support um, this federal congressional bill. So that's the background. Um, happy to uh, let's discuss. Thank you, Commissioner Rosanoy. I do wanna um, also mention as well that on our website, we do have um, uh, a press release concerning uh, the BAM, as well as a list of endorsers for the BAM. Uh, for the Prohibition Act, um, including uh, such groups as In Defense of Animals, Social Compassion and Legislation, and Wild Care. And there is also a, a three-page, I guess you'd say, summary of the, of the actual bill itself, and also a, a letter to Nancy Pelosi asking for co-sponsorship of 
of this act. Um, so I will open it up to any questions or comments from commissioners. Is there any questions or comments for Commissioner Rosenberg? Um, I was wondering if you'd heard it all. I mean, one of the meetings that wasn't really discussed in this is that we did talk to our advisors at Reckon Park, and I did want to point out that Reckon Park has, in fact, used glue traps as a very last-ditch effort under extreme circumstances where um, there's a safety or a public health issue, like a, a think of a kid's daycare center where there are meeting room where there's rapid turnover and people aren't really securing the materials and they're worried about con you know contamination and all that that could happen with um too many the rats running the show essentially and so they um they are very interested in finding out how other cities are doing this without that as a possible option and i'm curious to hear how West Hollywood or representative Lou's team has explored this issue of this last ditch effort when you're worried about a public health issue related to a large scale outbreak and um, and also just how we can get the voice of our advisors who are part of this commission to also be part of this um, support. Yeah, I am. Um... I think that the West Hollywood ban actually has not gone into effect and will um, go into effect in the spring. So I think right now is sort of the time that they're trying to dis discover um, what, you know, what can be done um, in that kind of uh, last ditch sort of effect. I mean, you know, there's plenty of countries that don't use them. Um, there's many provinces in India that don't use them. New Zealand doesn't use them. The San Francisco airport doesn't use them. So I think that there's um, really no reason that I can see that there can be, you know, um, there couldn't be another method of pest management. But I am biased. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I'm not aware as well of, of what they're using as alternatives, but um, some of the wording in the bill does state um, the United States Center for Disease, for Disease Control and Prevention has cautioned against these glue traps as trapped animals produce urine and feces that may harmfully affect human health. So, I mean, that's another way of looking at it as well. I, I understand that some departments may feel that glue traps may benefit them as far as trying to keep disease down, but here we have the Center of Disease Control saying kind of the opposite. So, mm -hmm. just something to also consider and think about. Are there any other questions or comments before we... Yes, Commissioner. Um, the only other comment I'd add is I want to also just say I think this is important for the rats and mice that are also killed in these traps. I know that we often think about the non-target wildlife, which is horrific, but it's also very horrific for the target wildlife as well. Very true. Thank you. I, I can tell you that people don't understand what actually happens because the way that these things are marketed, um, and you know, you can go to any Home Depot or Lowe's, and um, Wild Carous Up did try a campaign to get them to ban, you know, them from local local stores, but it doesn't explain what happens. It's just like, oh, it's so easy, it's super easy, just you know, dispose of like trap and dispose. And people think, oh yeah, it's it's so easy. But when they actually see what's happening, if they're not um, heartless monsters, then they are horrified and they and they rush, 
you know, even the rat to um, a rehabber to try to try to fix it, try to save it. Yeah. Deputy Director Corso, I would love some of your thoughts, if you have any, from your former uh, role as captain, field captain. Uh, I mean, we we like you said, people will rush <laughs> once they figure out how it works, and they have a live animal on a trap that they can see is suffering. They they have rushed them to ACC before, um, or an animal control officer has gone out to pick them up, bring them back, get the oil out, work with vet staff to get you know the animal off the trap. And um, like you said, we've we've seen everything you mentioned: the hummingbirds, um, the lizards, the snakes. So. Um, yeah, we, we do, it does come across and um, once people realize what's happening, they're, they're often devastated by it. Mm -hmm. And essentially, as I know we've discussed before, when these things are outside, um, they are kind of like an all-you-can-eat buffet for the, you know, the predators that, that see, for example, an unfortunate prey animal that's, that's gotten trapped. Um, they think, oh, look, it's it's a smorgasbord for us, and they swoop in, and then they, they also get trapped. There's a very dramatic photo that was going around um, from Florida that showed uh, from a wildlife rehab center in Florida that showed actually um, both a rat and a hawk glued together on on a particular trap, um, and they were both alive and they both survived. But it's it's just that's the kind of um, thing that I, I think that people just don't think about um, because a lot of a lot of it is all about our convenience versus humanity. And I, you know, I think that while not, I mean, I'm not going to say that that Representative Blue's um, bill is, you know, everything that I hoped and dreamed personally, because it doesn't touch on glue strip, fly strips, which also trap a lot of small birds. But I think it's this is a great, huge first start. And I think that even though probably, unfortunately, it will not make it, um, through, <laughs> it's at least the first step, and the more we can support it, the the more momentum we can get. So that if, if this one doesn't pass um, in this Congress, then another one will pass in the future. Very good, uh, Commissioner Reed. Uh, I was just wondering, would it be more likely to pass if the if, if we separated out outdoor use from indoor use? I mean, because a lot of what Said is said is about wildlife, and I'm wondering. And then the thing with doing it outside is you're not affecting what people do in their homes. Um, I don't know, because also a lot of the um, I mean, taking aside the whole um, inhumane element of it, um, there is you know if you don't care about the rats and the mice, it still traps other creatures inside. I mean, and and an anecdote that I have is. Um, my friend was a property manager and they of a of a of a like a housing area and unbeknownst to her the the house the groundskeepers i guess had set these traps in inside the rec room and it caught a lizard that had just can't come in you know um so i mean i i don't know whether separating it that way would would help i mean i think actually i would just go the other direction say we uh you know, ban at all, but again, I'm biased. So, um, but down with glue strips. Okay. Uh, Are there any other comments or questions from commissioners before we open it for public comment? Yes, commissioner. I'm sorry. So this is a uh, this bill is for federal. Yes. Oh wow. Yeah. 
Well, if it doesn't pass, which obviously federal is kind of a mess, um, maybe that could at least help push a local yeah. or at least a state, maybe. Definitely. Yeah, thank you, Commissioner. That That is the dream. Any other questions or comments? Oh, and I want to say last thing, sorry, um, that other states uh, like New York is is starting, um, advocates in New York are starting the process of making a state bill in New York. Like, as I said, New Hampshire is is already on the books, so maybe. Any other comments, questions? Oh, no, it's okay. I thought Commissioner Van Horn. Yeah, did you have a question? Okay, we're okay. Okay, great. Um, then we will open up for public comment. Is there anyone in the attending who would like to make a comment? Nadine May, it's a no-brainer to me. Um, why allow animals to suffer? I'm sure there are traps that kill immediately rather than allowing animals to suffer. And although I wouldn't want any animal to die needlessly, still, that would be more humane. So I assume there are alternatives like that. And once again, um, San Francisco, I'm proud of San Francisco because we're in the vanguard on a lot of things. And I would love for us to be on that again. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any other comments? One thing I would like to also add about the, the bill that I also thought was very impressive was that it didn't try to speak towards alternatives because sometimes the alternatives that are suggested are just as horrific as you know, what, what is intended. So that's, so I think that's great that that's not, that that's not happening with this bill. Um, okay. So, um, unless anyone objects, what I'd like to do is combine both matters, uh, on a vote. And the vote is the matters are a, whether to support the glue trap prohibition act bill. And whether we should send and B, whether we should send a letter to Congresswoman Pelosi requesting co-sponsorship of the bill. Um, I believe that um, who do you know? Do you remember offhand who's co-sponsoring it right now? Uh, it's Adam Schiff. I wanted to say that by um, if we vote for supporting the bill, we will just be added to the, the growing list of organizations that support it. Okay, great. Thank you for the clarification. And yeah, Adam Schiff. Uh, I think District Thirty Six. No, Thirty. Thank you. Um, so, again, um, when I call your name, please state yes if you're in favor of supporting the bill and requesting that Congresswoman Pelosi co-sponsors it or state no if you're not in favor. Okay, Commissioner Garf Garfinkel? Yes. Commissioner uh, Fergandes? Yes. Commissioner Ozenoy? Yes. Commissioner Reed? Yes. Commissioner Tobin? Yes. And Commissioner Van Horn? Yes. And me as well, so unanimously. Great. Okay, so it's passed. Um, we will go ahead and uh, thanks everybody for their support on this important matter. Commissioner Rosenoy, please let your contacts know about our commission support of HR 7018, and I will send out the letter to Representative Pelosi tomorrow morning. Thank okay. you so much. Okay, great. Thank you, everyone. And uh, moving on to old business, uh, reporting from San Francisco uh, Animal Care and Control. Animal Care and Control will report regarding ongoing operations, provide shelter updates, and present the July through September 2023 and October through December 2023 quarterly reports. 
Commission will also discuss any updates to our recommendations and live animal market reporting discussions and current laws and responses regarding animal neglect calls. Um, so what I'd like to do is have Deputy Director Corso present the quarterly reports and CAT data reports for both periods. And then we can discuss the recommendations, follow up any updates concerning the presentation on live animal markets, and then discuss animal neglect calls um, with time periods in between for commissioners to comment or ask questions. Uh, Deputy Director Corso, uh, please let me know if you're okay with this and you can start when you are ready. Okay, so I will start with the July through September report 2023. So for the uh, intake, we took in 674 cats, 673 dogs, and 796 others for a total of 2,143 animals. Uh, protective custody, we had 226 animals. Um, deceased animals that were dropped off, 302. Owner requested euthanasia, 50. Owner surrenders, 381. 718 strays and uh, 452 of that number is wildlife. For outcomes, we adopted out 136 cats, 43 dogs, and 40 others. We euthanized 91 cats, 97 dogs, 242 others. Transferred 255 cats, 212 dogs, 241 others. 75 cats were redeemed, 282 dogs were redeemed, and 14 others were redeemed. Um, and then 56, uh, for wildlife, 56 animals were released, as well as three cats. During that time period, ACC placed 186 animals into foster homes. Um, and ACOs responded to 2,743 emergency calls during that quarter. Uh, during this time, ACC did 135 um, spay-neuter surgeries, and SPCA did 288. During this time period, the total of 430 animals euthanized, 303 of them were euthanized for medical conditions, 71 euthanized for behavior concerns, 42 were owner-requested euthanasias, and 14 were euthanized for head-to-lab. Majority of those are often bats. And the, the head-to-lab, just to clarify, is for rabies testing. Uh, so I'm going to move on before I give any other updates. I'm going to move on to the October through December 2023 report. Uh, during this time, we took in a total of 1,806 animals, 486 were cats, 706 were dogs, 614 were others. During that time, and from that number, we had 197 that were custody animals, 30 were owner-requested euthanasias, 342 owner-surrenders, 630 strays, and 336 wildlife.
for cats, 129 were adopted, 61 were euthanized, 248 were transferred to our partners, 55 were redeemed, and seven were released. For dogs during this quarter, we had 52 adopted, 86 euthanized, 222 were transferred to our partners, 262 were redeemed. And then for others, we adopted out 47 others, which is great. Um, 178 were euthanized, and remember this also includes wildlife. Um, partner transfers, 137, 11 were redeemed, and 47 were released. Uh, we placed 110 animals into foster homes uh, during this quarter, and ACOs responded to 2,499 emergency calls. Uh, ACC did spay and neuter for 52 animals, and SPCA did spay and neuter for 308 animals. Uh, of the 325 animals euthanized, 214 were due to medical conditions, 69 were euthanized for behavior concerns, 23 were owner-requested euthanasias, and 19 euthanized for head-to-lab the rabies testing. Um, one thing I want to mention, uh, if you guys follow our social media posts, you will notice that um, we have been full very often. Um, it, it's, it's not uncommon <laughs> each day to say, hey, we only have three kennels. We need, to, we need to hurry up and try to get some animals out. We need to do what we can. Um, it's not as easy as transferring all the time, transferring animals or um you know adopting animals right now we have a lot of custody animals so with our custody animals this is for people who are incarcerated we take their pets in and it's a mandatory 14-day hold um, for someone who goes to the hospital um, for you know someone who is evicted so we we do these custody holds it also pertains to our animal cruelty cases um, which can drag on <laughs> um, so we're we're struggling and if you see those posts that's why um we when we can we you know people are holding on to animals that um they find stray they fill out a found report um most of the time people are not able to do that but we have had some uh some reporting parties who have helped us out that way and so we can take them back in um so yeah we're we're very full so if you know anybody who wants to adopt or foster, send them to us, please. Um, another update, uh, our vaccine clinics. We had one um, scheduled for um, March 9th, and we had promoted it. Uh, we're trying to figure out how to staff it. Um, uh, you could probably talk to this Commissioner Van Horn, but um, there was a vote about whether or not uh, SFVMA would um, uh, continue to staff these clinics, um, and they voted no in December. Um, the new law that passed is uh, a little confusing and tricky um, because while we can have just vet techs go into the field to do these clinics, when it's on site and we have a you know premise permit for you know, 
the veterinary stuff, there has to be a vet on on site. Um, we may try to move this one if we can't get staffed, but that's TBD. TBD. Um, we may have to try to move it to a day where we do have a you know a veterinarian on staff. Right now we don't on on Saturdays and. Um, we still only have half a tech, but we are in the hiring process for that. Um, good news. We were awarded a grant um, through Cal for, for all animals. Uh, that's going to help um, with the medical needs. So the, what we're hoping is going to happen with this is um, it's going to help cut down on the number of owner surrenders we have. Um, we have quite a few people who owner surrender due to the cost of medical. Um, they can't afford the veterinary care. Um, and so with this grant, they can go to vets and vans who is still on site once a week um, and have their veterinary needs taken care of. Um, so we're very excited about this grant. Um, it's going to help keep pets with their families and in their homes. Um, and so we're, we're working out the final details. We have meetings to get it running, but I'm hoping it's going to be up and running very soon. I think what's that's the it. amount of the grant? 150,000. Okay. And we will be breaking it down in, um, you know, for non-emergency, um, up to $750 for if it's, you know, a surgical need, um, then it would be. I believe it is it it's either twelve hundred or fifteen hundred. I have to go back and look. Okay. 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 Actually I had a couple thank you for preparing this sure. information. I have a couple questions. Um going back to the grant, um how 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 is that administered to families? Like is it when families come in or people come in to surrender and if the, you find out the reason why is because of medical costs, that's when um Knowledge of that comes in, or that's when it's told. Yeah. So the or? the criteria is um, someone you know indicates that their animal has a medical condition that they can't you know afford the veterinary treatment, so the needs there, and then they're a San Francisco resident. That's the criteria. Um, okay. Thanks. Yeah. Um, and then also, um, right now you were just talking about. Um, the vets you have on on staff mm -hmm. and how you're in the process of hiring. Um, if I remember correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, when an animal is euthanized, it's the decision of the the head vet. Is that correct, or is it like a community or like a committee that decides? Um, if if there's a medical issue, that's it's the the vet decides. Yeah, I'm talking about like non medical issues. Non medical. That's it's more than just the vet. Okay, it's, it's multiple people. Okay, just wanted to clarify yeah. that because I was wondering what, what happens in the cases of of there not being uh, an in-house vet, and I was just wondering how that was that was being dealt with. But I'm sorry, you lost me on that. Say that again. Yeah, when, since we don't have like since there's not that position, the head vet or the chief veterinarian. There's two veterinarians. Okay. There's yeah. Okay, um, but as far as the what what is like the what is the I guess you'd say the position for the vet who's I mean, they're they're qualified vets, and yeah. they can absolutely make a decision about you. Oh yeah, and I'm not yeah. doubting that. What I meant yeah. though is, um, as far as like the position, like that, um, that Dr. O'Neill was. Oh, there was position. a there was there was more um, administrative tasks involved in that. Um, 
Okay, you know, so that's yeah. basically like the difference with. Yeah. Okay, got it now. Okay, thanks for the clarification. Sure. And then my last one is just going back to custody again. Can you remind me? And I know I ask this all the time, but when it comes to animals that are in custody, what are some of the types in which you the department is required to provide, you know, to shelter? But and then what are the types that basically you're not required to, but you do it because it's the right thing to do? Uh, well, I'd have to read the state law again, but um, because it ha it hasn't changed within the shelter as far as the policy, so eviction, um, hospitalization, incarceration, um, uh, victims of domestic violence when they go into a shelter will take their animal under the Safe Pets program, where um, only you know one person or two people in the shelter have access to their information. Um, it's stored separately so that they can't be found. Okay. Fire. Um, I'm sorry. Fire. Yes. So fire. Like yes, a, yes. A natural yes, disaster yes, or something. Yes, or a... placed for fire. Exactly. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, let's open it up to uh, any commissioners. Does, do any commissioners have questions concerning the reports? Um, <clears throat> concerning <clears throat> concerning the March uh, um, vaccine clinic. Um, the SFVMA did uh, have members vote to not continue providing veterinarians for the, the clinic. Um, however, the people that voted to continue, um, I requested that they give their emails so that they could be solicited outside of the SFVMA. Oh, great. Um, I'm in the process of working with Dr. DiVincenzi, who technically has left the position of vice president there, but she's just continuing to try and liaisons here. Um, but we were going to basically do an email blast trying to get somebody to cover that spot. Um, and I told her that if nobody else steps up, I'll cancel my day of surgeries that day and go down and, and handle it myself. Um, pertaining to the future, I would invite you to reach out to Dr. Fong um, at Irving Pet Hospital. He's the CVMA representative for us here in San Francisco. And he was the one that um, had mentioned in talking to legal um, at their, on their end of things that said there's really not no need for the veterinarian to be on site, assuming that the ACC chief veterinarian writes a protocol and has adequate training for the people on hand. So I'm hoping that going forward, it's not going to be an issue as far as uh, lack of a DVM there on on those days. Um, but uh, definitely keep me posted. Yeah, I have it for because they did a webinar about this. Um, uh, Cal Animals did, and so. Um, we have an inquiry out just to clear that up because as it was presented in um, the webinar, if it's on site, there does need to be a DVM present. But um, I think there's I, I a hope, lot I of hope, changing. I hope what you heard is correct, actually accurate. But that said, we also, um, you know, again, we don't have full time text yet. So um, the March, I don't think they'll be in by then. Um, hope so, but I don't know. Uh, so we're, we're short the text anyway, so we're on that note with, mm -hmm. I mean, the way that hiring goes with the city, are we at least in the interviewing process for techs or do we have applications? Almost. Okay. Almost. They've exams been administered and we're, so we're, we're on our way. Um, it passed the biggest hurdle, which is getting through, you know, budget and. And is that for so. multiple tech positions at the same time to, to be starting for two? Okay. Um, 
second question um, is SPCA's community cat still um, working with you in terms of getting their numbers updated as far as what SPCA is? To, I mean, ACC is doing um, as far as feral releases, intakes, and that sort of thing. I mean, we're still working with community cats. What? But I'm sorry. Can you? I wasn't sure if I, I've um, had feelers out as far as getting their updated numbers and that sort of thing. And I wasn't sure if during the pandemic um, and their changes at SPCA, if they were still getting that data, solic even soliciting that data. Do you know if they're, I mean, do you send it off every month and hope they get it? Or there's is there active, um, you know, work going on between the two organizations still. Yeah, I mean, I know we definitely work with them. I think somewhere in the report, it talks about how many cats we transported over there. As far as their actual numbers um, outside of what we do, I have not seen that. Um, I do know they've had turnover and things have changed over there. So um, I, I'm not sure where they are with that. But on your end, you, they're they're getting your numbers. You just don't know if they're putting them into the system and Correct. and. Okay. Yeah, we have our numbers of what we've sent, but yeah. You mentioned cats, but dogs as well too. The SPCA, your your transfers of dogs over to the SPCA. Oh, we could, yeah. I mean, we have our numbers of who's transferred where. Mm -hmm. um, but this was that was the, these numbers are specific to the community cats program, not the right. Not right. shelter intake. Right. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I, oh, oh, yes. Um, so you've mentioned a few times that you're at capacity. Um, do you have any insights as to like what's driving all of this? Um, there's there's a lot of things. Um, you know, I think part of it is housing. Housing is the other really big issue aside from um, aside from just you know people being able to afford veterinary care. Um, Finding pet friendly housing in San Francisco is difficult um, and a lot of people are losing their housing period. Um, so we're, we're seeing a lot of that, um, you know, anecdotally, people are talking about return to office and people returning animals, but, um, and sure, we, we see that absolutely. Um, but really, um, housing and, um, affordability is have been the 2 main reasons. Commissioner Reed, I just have 1 question. Are the vets and vans surgeries included in your statistics or is that completely separate? There's a separate. Thanks. Um, actually, 1 more question before we move on um, concerning going back to custody. Um, you mentioned that. You know, you're pretty much at capacity as far as your space for capacity. Have you heard of, or is there any either from other shelters or other um, animal services in other cities, um, any alternatives to having the animals uh, sheltered at an off location or with a partner organization? I don't, you know, legally, I don't know how that would work, but is there anything like that that could be looked uh, at? Unfortunately, or? this is a nationwide problem. Everybody is full. Uh -huh. um, everybody's full, especially with large dogs. Yeah. Um, Everybody's just full. I mean, we do what we can and, um, you know, our rescue partners have been great and we, we get dogs out. I mean, our team does a great job considering the number of dogs they get out, but. You know, we had 1 day where we were excited because we transferred 8 out and then we got 11 dogs in that day in 1 day. 
you know, right after. So the high of eight dogs out came crashing down right in the afternoon when we realized we had 11 total dogs. Um, but yeah, it's, it's everywhere. Um, all the rescues you can, I mean, that was the, it's probably the biggest topic, um, in all of the Google groups, you know, is, Hey, we're full. Can anybody take this? Can we take, and we all try to help each other out when we can, but everybody's struggling with the same thing. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll ask one more time. Is there any questions concerning the reports before we move on? Okay. Uh, seeing none, uh, let's go on to the recommendations. Uh, as we all remember, these are the recommendations that were approved by the commission last March. Uh, in September, uh, SFACC issued an update response. I do have some questions concerning some of the responses and of the forms that were provided as part of the responses. Uh, but before I ask my questions, uh, Deputy Director Corso, is there anything you'd like to mention or talk about concerning the recommendations or the response? Or should I just get into my questions? Uh, I just, I say, go ahead with your questions. I'm, I'm trying to pull okay. up. Yeah. Um, so these questions were ones that I, that I provided to you beforehand. Um, some of them I'm taking off. So, so in other words, you won't be asked all those questions. I asked just, okay, some. bear with me. Cause I got them this morning. So I still okay. have meeting stuff today. So I didn't get to really, no worries. Believe me, okay. most of these are, you know, pretty, you can answer. And I'm just, I'm just looking to educate myself. So, okay. Um, so I just want to confirm that um, animal control, uh, the animal control officers have microchip scanners in the field when they go out. Yes. Okay. And when, what is the process exactly? So, like, let's say they scan uh, an animal, mm -hmm. they realize that there is some chip information there. Mm -hmm. Do they on their cell phone call, or is it called into animal care? Well, first they'll research the chip to see if we have it linked in our system, Chameleon. Uh -huh. um, so any animal that's come across our path, we're going to have them linked to the owner in our system. That's the easiest way. If we've never been in contact with the animal before, then we have to call the microchip company. Um, depending on what's happening in the field, either the officer will do it themselves or they'll have the dispatcher do it. Okay, thank you. And um, when, like, let's say a, an animal is brought in from a good, into, um, I guess you'd say over the counter um, to the shelter by a good Samaritan and they basically are saying, oh, I found this animal. Can you scan it to see if there's a chip and then I'll contact them? Does that happen or how would that oh, yeah. happen? Yeah, that happens. And either the shelter service rep will scan them if you know if yeah. the lobby's not slammed. If it is, then an uh, animal care attendant will come and scan. Okay. And when that is done, um, is like let's say if some information does come up, is that provided to the Good Samaritan or it does no AC we contact okay, and that's them. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. Okay, good. Um as part of the cats matrix, um you mentioned specifically, you know, what's the what's the process when a kitten under three months or less than five pounds is brought in? And um, I was just kind of curious, how are those ages determined? Who makes that determination? In other words, like, let's say, you know, a cat comes in and. Depends which way it comes in. Um, so, A, we have scales, so that's how we know the yeah. weight. Okay. <laughs> and then um, we also have aging charts that are everywhere. So. You know, you look at teeth um, for the really young ones, it's eyes open, mobile, ears folded, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but I think I think the one that we have posted is probably the uh, Alley Cat Allies um, aging chart. Maybe that's the one. Um, but yeah, we have aging charts and 
um, you know. And what what about like if they're out in the field and like let's say an officer comes across a cat? Does the does he have, for example? And again, I know this is, sounds petty, but does the does he or she have like a scale there to weigh the cat or like what kind of information? No, they're not them? they're not carrying a scale on them. I mean, I mean, as far as within their trucks or whatever, their yeah, no, they don't have a they don't have a scale on the truck, but they do have the little pocket folded um, aging chart. Okay, and, and plus, class? you know, you do this long enough, you. you st- you start to not need the chart. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, also know according to the cats matrix as well um, that some cats are referred to c- the community cat program. Um, and I was wondering what, how does that process work as far as not how community cats work the program, but like let's say someone brings in a cat, and you know they're referred to, um, I guess SPCA or community cats program. How exactly does that work? Does does someone at the front counter say, oh, you know, you need to take this cat to SPCA or is it something that that animal? It kind of it kind of depends on the situation case by case. I would say more often than not, um, you know, we if we take the cat in and it it gets, you know, give it a couple days to settle. But if it's obviously terrified, like isn't improving and uh, or is declining, um, then we try to expedite those transfers to community cats. Okay. But when they come in, um, if, you know, if they come in with a cat that's fractious or appears to be a community cat, we'll have them fill out the community cats form in case it needs to be transferred. And then, so that starts it off. So basically it's ACC who kind of takes the lead on, on that, on that process. As opposed to like, let's say someone who comes in just with the cat and says, what do I do with this cat? Yeah, you, okay. we will, because, um, I mean, it takes a minute to, we have them fill out the form. Yeah. Um, that, that's what we ask the, the member of the public to do, but, um, you're not necessarily going to be able to call and just get someone on the phone immediately. Yeah. With okay. Thank you. Um, now, um, concerning found cats and recommending that the finder post like post. You know, notices in the neighborhood regarding, you know, regarding the cat that they found. What happens or what happens if someone does bring in a cat and says, well, I don't have time to, to do that. What are, what are the next steps or how does the shelter? Respond? I mean, if it's a, if it's a healthy cat, um, and they're willing to put it back where they found it, so it can find its way home. That's a preference. If they refuse to bring it back, then we take it in. Okay. Um, so you will take, yeah. Okay. I mean, when they come, we'll obviously scan it first. Yeah. Um, but if it has no microchip. Okay. And then also there's indications in the cat matrix concerning tipped eared cats. And I just want a clarification on that because some tipped eared cats are, um, could be pets, correct? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So is there, I guess, what's, what's the difference basically between someone bringing in, is there any difference in, in processes? You know, we, we still give them the same time to kind of okay. settle in and. Okay. Um, there's also mention too of, um, you know, helping healthy cats that may be in dangerous situation or hazardous locations. Mm-hmm. Let's say a cat is like, you know, downtown, you know, and it's maybe in their natural environment, but there's, you know, there's all these different dangers for them. Would that be something, for example, I know it's a case by case basis. It's but case by, this is so nuanced that these, sometimes your questions are hard to answer because they're so, so nuanced. I mean, there's, 
parks and apartment buildings with, you know, park yards. Like it's, it's very hard to answer that question. Yeah. Um, so it's an assessment and it's, it's, you know, honestly a judgment call and, um, we have policies and procedures and try to adhere to best standards. Um, but sometimes it is a judgment call and it's either, you know, an ACO will go out and see the situation. It could be, um, we've had instances before where, you know, we just knew there were too many emergencies happening in the city and ACO wouldn't be there for a while. Hey, can you FaceTime the dispatcher real quick so we can see what's going on? Can you send a picture? Um, okay, so that's like what I'm that. trying to find out, like just how much additional information goes into it or how much the more as much as we can so, get because you know always, what I'm, uh, there's no such thing as <laughs> too much information okay that's great because i was going to say what i'm going by and i know i'm not being i'm going through general generalizations but these are also basically the wording on the matrix itself so i'm trying to understand you know you know what exactly these these statements or these kind of processes or steps mean um then this is just a general question and this is something I've talked to numerous people about, and everyone's kind of got their own uh, idea. But outdoor cats, should cats be kept indoors? I mean, ideally, um, that's what we recommend. However, some folks do let their cats outdoors, and it's not illegal. Yeah. But that's our recommendation. Okay. Okay, thanks. Okay. Um, then I have a couple questions concerning the CIP hold. Um, I just want to confirm again the definitions of good Samaritan call and finder to adopt. Now, let me, let me kind of tell you what my understanding is, and you can tell me if I'm totally off or if that's correct. A good Samaritan call is, is a, an example would be someone who comes in, um, brings in a cat that they found or, you know, a cat that was hurt or whatever, and, um, or a dog. And they may not be interested in, in adopting the dog or the animal, but they're, they want to know what happens to the dog or the animal. That's correct. Okay, good. And finder to adopt is basically, I found this animal and I would like to adopt if there's, you know, if after the stray hold or anything else. Correct. Okay. And then if they, you know, if, if they actually meet um, the requirements for, for that animal, they will get the okay, great. first crack. Yeah. Then. My next question is what determines animals to be released only to adoption partners as opposed to um, just being anyone can adopt anyone of the public if if they're below our adoption criteria um, so that's could be either for medical or behavior um, so you know we have um, rescue partners who have you know more resources um, they they can put into medical and and behavior. Um, so if they're, you know, they don't meet our criteria for adoption, um, but one of our rescues, they do, then they can be transferred. Is that, um, is that criteria like available to see? I mean, like, could I, could I say, for example, the reason um, why I'm asking I think, is because I think somewhere. Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, you know, we have so many policies and yeah. procedures and SOPs. Because um, I'd be kind of interested because I myself actually adopted an animal that was pulled from SC, S, 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 I'm sorry, from SFACC. And I went over there to go see this animal um, because I'd read about him and I was told it was rescue only. So that was on a Sunday. So I went over to Muttville and pulled someone from there and said, I want to see this animal. Can you go back to ACC and maybe they'll show it? So we saw the animal. 
Muffield pulled him on Tuesday, on Monday, and I had him on Tuesday morning. I adopted him on Tuesday morning. So basically, this was an animal that you know no one could the people can adopt unless they were to rescue. But you know, in other words, like this animal may not have met the adoption criteria, but I was able to adopt him two days later. Sure. And so I, I just wonder if sometimes that adoption criteria might be a little too strict. Well, I mean, I I don't I don't know your dog. I don't know if it needed something done before, like if it needed a dental. I mean, Muttville, you know, senior yeah. dogs, they deal with medical issues. Um, and we have criteria for what medically can be adopted out. Um so in other words, it's it's not it's behavioral, but it could also be, I guess, medical. Even no, it's not just behavioral. It, there's medical cases too. I mean, yeah. there's there's a lot that we can't do medically that other rescues can. Um, and so the reason why, like, let's say, for example, uh, a dog with with medical problems, like let's say dental, um, which is expensive, but you know can be can be done by anyone, uh, is the the thought of not putting that dog up for general adoption just the fact that. Most likely, someone may not adopt a dog. So we with... do we do put up some medical cases we call special adopt, um, and we explain what it is. I think dentals might be one of them, depending on how you know what else is going on with the animal. Um, so it, it's not that we don't adopt. It just has to it, again. It's so nuanced. It's really hard to answer these questions when yeah. it's so nuanced. Okay, um, and when you do have like these special. I guess you call medical. I forgot the terminology. The special adopt. It could be medical. Some yeah. could potentially. Do they come with like some kind of a care coupon or anything, or is it is basically all of that the responsibility of the of the adopter? It, it's the responsibility of the adopter. Okay. Um, okay. I mean, that's why it's a special adopt. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Understood. And of course, all that's front loaded and put up front. They know yeah. that before they adopt. Okay. Okay. Good. Um. Then my other questions were um, concerning um, SFACC and adoption partners regular meetings. Now, I know that this has been something I've, I've really pushed for, uh, but my understanding is that there's that you're not getting a lot of requests for something like this. Um, but if I'm assuming that if there was a request or if a lot of organizations or partner organizations are saying, oh, I think this would be very beneficial or there's misunderstandings or whatever that ACC would would probably be open to doing it. Um, so I just wanted to kind of put that out there. Yeah, but, I mean we're we're in constant communication with our partners, um, okay. whether it's phone, email, like constant communication. And I'll be honest, I'm sure they're all just as busy, and everybody's communicating with everybody. I can't. We haven't had that request, and I'm guessing it's because everybody doesn't have time to drop something and have a big meeting with. You know, a bunch of people speaking, um, but if our partners requested a meeting, absolutely we do a meeting. Okay, thank you. Then um, my other question concerning that too is that um, according to, I guess, I believe the adoption partner application and agreement, uh, discontinuation of partnering due to, to irreconcilable differences. I was just wondering if you could maybe give an example of, you don't have to mention the name of the organization, obviously, but uh, a partnership in which there was you just continued working with them due to some differences and what those differences could be an example of those differences. Um, the the ones that 
come to the top of my head are the ones around communication. I believe there's um, with the agreement, there's a portion that talks about um, uh, miscommunication, like, for instance, saying, um, you know, something uh, that's not accurate about the animal's history that they pull from us or um, something not accurate about um, our operations. Um, so, I mean, the two that I can think of, huh. you know. Okay. And then continuing on with that same form, um, let's see. Sorry, this question is so general that even I don't understand it. So I'm not going <laughs> to. Okay. Um, I was kind of curious about the. Uh, on the form, the uh, animals displaying risk of harm and the indemnification of it. Um, and again, I'm sorry, I, I wrote these down, and I, I'm trying to think of what I was going to ask about it. Yeah, that's that's pretty standard. Yeah, across the industry. I mean, handling animals does come with inherent risk. I mean, just how it is, and that's that's pretty standard industry wide. Yeah, but there was a, I know that, but there was a question I was going to ask, and I, I can't remember now. So again, another generalization gone to. Um, but I did have one question. Um, oh no, wait, that's as well. So let me see about this. Uh, oh yes, actually, I do remember now what I was going to ask a question about. Um, on the form, and we're talking about the. Um, excuse me, the. The uh, partnership communication is the partnership communication standards. Uh, as part of your partnership agreement, you mentioned that adoption partners may not represent animals received from SFACC as quote unquote rescued from the shelter, quote unquote on death row, or having been saved from quote unquote being killed. Uh, and if someone does do that, uh, that they that you will um, decline to further transfer animals to them. I was just wondering, has something like that ever come up before? And um, uh, similar, similar to that, one of the when I talked about the misinformation, um, but I mean, it's not a one and done. It's a repeated conversations. Um, you know, municipal shelters often get this. We're open admission shelters. We have to take everything, um, but we, you know. Often, when a rescue will take from a shelter, they'll say they rescued it and and I mean, come on, <laughs> you know, we may have just rescued this dog from a horrible neglect situation or something like that. And, you know, you're not rescuing it from us. We have many pathway options. If you didn't pull the animal, we'd check with our next partner. I mean, you know, so saying something like rescuing a dog from death row from, you know, no, we don't we don't want that out there. We're. We need to be seen all the rest the uh, all of our partners need to be seen as allies, not enemies. And when you say something like that, it's it's kind of adversarial. One of the things, as it says, is just what you said was rescued from the shelter. They can't say something like that. Um, just you, you don't think that that's a little extreme that if someone does say that we rescued them from ACC uh, to decline to further transfer animals. 
I mean, this is, I didn't write this. Um, my understanding was this was something that, um, uh, was it a cow for all, uh, cow animals? Some group like recommended and it's, and it seems to be the standard language. Um, so, okay, thank you. Um, then my only last question, and I appreciate everybody's patience as I went through this, um, is concerning the reports. In there, um, we did receive a report of all the uh, partner transfers uh, for FY22. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming there's probably a more recent one. But what I was also hoping to get was just a list of all the partners, period, even if they didn't have any transfers during a, a calendar year. Yeah, I saw that in there. Um, the two people who could pull those um, were not in today. Okay. Um, they were out, but. Um, okay. Thank you. They'll be back next week. So. Okay, great. Okay, so what we'll do now is we can, before we go on to the other two items, and I apologize again that that took so long. Um, does anyone have any questions concerning recommendations? Yeah, Commissioner. Ben. Just one question. Um, going back to mentioning having people taking um, cats that are, you know, I went and picked up Fluffy, didn't have to trap it, lives out in the avenues, maybe take it back and just let her go home sort of thing. Um, or say the hit by car animals um, in talking to an ACO recently who works in the Central Valley where they're at capacity plus all the time. They don't, it's not just cats. They turn away, they turn away dogs um, regularly, but they've got the big book um, of animals that were presented. Picture was taken. Sometimes they weren't even presented. People just called and said, I have this dog. They're like, email us a picture of it. We'll put it in the book contact information on where it's at. Then there's the sensitive pictures Then the second part warning. These are hit by car animals that were found dead. Um, does ACC have anything like that going on for people that are out looking for their disappeared animal at this point? Yes, yeah, so we have um, found reports. So if, if someone finds an animal, but is gonna keep it with them and look for the owner, post on next door, we give them all the, you know, Tell them all the places to do it, Paw Boost next door, Craigslist, you know. Um, but when they do that, we take their information, the animal's information. So we have all that in our system. So if someone calls and is like, hey, I'm looking for my dog, here's a description, um, we can go through and look for that. So we do have um, both lost and found reports. Um, what was the second part? Sorry. That that pretty much answers okay. it. I just wanted to know basically whether or not there was that that option. The ACO that I was talking to said they're in the process of putting it online so that um, yeah, ours is online. And... Go and see pictures of yeah. cats found in various neighborhoods um, and know if their their animal has been discovered somehow. Yeah, and if there's if the animal is actually in our shelter, they can just go on Pet Harbor and and look for them as opposed to also you know having to come into the shelter. They can do that too, of course. And walk through, but um, if we have them in our shelter, they can they can go online and look to see which stray animals are there. I actually have a question about Pet Harbor. Um, how um, how seamless is the information transfer? Like when an animal gets adopted, does it automatically uh, update on Pet Harbor, or does it have to be manual? Yeah, it's kind of connected to our chameleon system. So what we see on um, the ACC website as far as adoptable is accurate and yeah, well, it should be if, if it isn't, then there's a problem, but that's, we don't have to manually input anything it. They work together 2 systems. 
I just noticed that um, there's only two adoptable cats and that seemed very unlikely, but maybe it's not, so great. We're right now, not a lot of cats. Um, we have, I mean, well, I should say not a lot up for adoption. We have a lot in custody right. um, and we've had some, you know, strays, other things, so. Okay, any other questions before we move on? Okay, uh, moving on to live animal markets discussion. Animal Outlook, who presented on this matter last year, sent a follow-up letter concerning the animal control officers and the issuing of citations and asking if video footage of cruelty is enough for them to issue a citation or to confirm that it is still SFACC's belief that the only way an animal control officer can respond is if the officer witnesses a cruelty. Uh, this communication from Animal Outlook is on the meetings agenda page on our website. Uh, I really want to thank them for their compassionate work and for the time and resources they've given looking into this matter. Uh, I know that SFACC just received the letter from Animal Outlook, but I am wondering if the document has any, I mean, if the department has any initial thoughts concerning the document, um, Deputy Director Corso. Uh, I'm going to be honest, when you sent me that list today, <laughs> I tried to glance at that between my meetings. Um, so I did forward um, the letter to our city attorney who's out um, at the moment, um, but I, I still need to take a closer look. Okay. Understood. Um, one thing that, that was kind of, that did come up was about the thought of like a video, I guess you'd say a kind of analogy, allegedly, excuse me. I'm sorry, but a comparison of the, um, of, you know, seeing something personally witnessing it versus um, video footage of it. Uh, what it was, and I, and I wish I, I'm obviously not as eloquent as this person that said this to me is, but they compared, you know, receiving video footage of something and being able to write a citation concerning it as very similar to like, let's say a, a traffic stop traffic camera, how, you know, there isn't necessarily uh, an officer there who's witnessing this particular, you know, traffic violation, but because of the camera footage, you know, they're able to issue a, a citation concerning it. Or similar to like, let's say if someone, you know, bypasses a, a bridge a bridge toll, you know, there's cameras there that can go ahead and, you know, write a citation to that driver and they don't necessarily have to witness it. So that's kind of like the thought process behind you know, that, that animal control officers should be able to write up a citation um, without having, you know, without the need to have actually witness the actual cruelty, but just based on video evidence. But again, you know, I'm, I just want to put that out there. I know you haven't had a chance to look at it. That's understandable. Um, so we'll, we'll continue this discussion another time. And I, I can also follow up with the deputy city attorney as well concerning this. Um, do any, yes. Well, just to comment on that. The problem is the difference between what you're these two camera situations you're saying. A picture of some unknown person doing something in a shop will would not work. They would have to know the name of the person. They would have to know the name, address of the shop. So just you have to make make it clear what you're talking about by a video. Yeah. Well, my understanding based on the investigation was that. Um, Additional information was given as far as who the person, who the people are, and where the shop location is. Is it on the video or is it just something they've said on top of it? Because there is a difference there. You, these red light cameras get a picture of the person, they get the driver's license and stuff. So, yeah. I mean, I'm sort of comparing this to a ring video of somebody stealing packages. 
there's a there's a difference between the two. Yeah, and to be honest, um, I'm not too sure exactly what the information was that was provided to SFACC, uh, but from what I understand, it's pretty detailed. But it's it has nothing to do with basically. I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not so much the video footage and what's there on that video footage or what's associated to it and how easily identified the people involved are or the location. It's a matter of like personally witnessing it versus not. So I mean. Regardless of what the video footage is, the question is, is video footage enough? And whether or not that video footage is enough is a whole other discussion. But the, the real thing that we're trying to get to or trying to figure out is if video footage in any kind of form is, you know, a good substitute or if it's enough or does the uh, officer actually have to witness it? So hopefully that makes sense. Any other questions? Okay. Uh, seeing none, let's go on to uh, the last area that we'd like to talk about today, and uh, that's animal neglect calls. Okay, this comes up as a result of a recent situation involving a senior dog who, based on what I understood, spent a large amount, if not all, of his time outside instead of indoors. Some neighbors who knew about the dog were concerned and saw it as a clear sign of neglect. From what I understand, SFACC didn't see it as neglect. This was after having visited the location a number of times. The dog was eventually surrendered to SFACC where he was euthanized. And depending on who you ask, the dog had suffered as a result of years of neglect, or the dog hadn't suffered from neglect and was in declining health based on his years. He was 12 years old. Uh, during this time, there was a number of updates on Nextdoor about it, and a number of people contacted me beginning in late December about it. Of those people who contacted me, Many of them either knew someone who lived in the neighborhood or they had spoken to someone at SFACC about the matter. Uh, last month, SFACC issued a statement concerning it, uh, which was shared with the commissioners and also shared on the January meeting agenda page on our website. Uh, a written public comment was provided by one of the neighbors in response to SFACC statement. I'll go ahead and read that now. I want to express my heartfelt appreciation to the community members who called ACC regarding the neglected German Shepherd. Your concern and action are crucial in ensuring the well-being of animals in our community. I also extend my gratitude to ACC for their prompt response. However, I want to reiterate the persistent neglect that the German Shepherd endured for over a decade. Multiple reports were made to ACC and PETA since 2012 from me and my neighbors expressing concerns about the dog's condition. My recent post on Nextdoor was an act of desperation, seeking help and guidance from our community. I want to clarify that at no point did I advocate for any form of vigilante action, such as knocking on the doors on the dog's owner's door. I believe in constructive community involvement, urging everyone to report concerns through proper channels like calling ACC. While I appreciate ACC's response, I find the information provided to be misleading. After speaking personally with the captain of ACC, and they mentioned a name which I will mention, who confirmed the dog's poor condition, it is disheartening to see the discrepancy in ACC's official statement. Sadly, Duke, as we believe the dog was named, is no longer with us. Despite this, my commitment to seeking justice remains strong. It's concerning that owners, that the owners were able to keep their second dog without repercussions. I urge our community to come together to address this issue. Let's use Duke's case as a catalyst for change, advocating for modifications to animal welfare laws in San Francisco. It's evident that existing laws need better enforcement. 
our collective efforts can make a significant impact and improve the lives of animals in our city. Thank you for your continued, for your continued support. And let's work towards a future where no animal has to suffer in silence. And then the, the, the commenter signed her name. Um, so, uh, what I'd like to do is I'd like to go ahead and ask a few questions concerning dog neglect calls. Uh, what are current laws and situations that SFACC has experienced or come across? I won't ask about any specific cases or complaints, but I would be great for me to get a general understanding of them. So, let me go ahead and go over my questions that I have, and maybe you can offer some insight, um, Deputy Director. So, and I apologize, I had planned to look it up, but didn't look up the exact wording. Um, do you know what the current legislation is concerning outdoor dogs and how dogs, how long dogs can be outside? Yeah, there's no there's no length of time for dogs outside. There's dogs can be outside. Um, they have to be provided certain things um, under San Francisco Health Code. You know, they talk about the requirements for shelter. Mm -hmm. They talk about the requirements for um, access to food um, or food provided daily, um, uh, access to clean water at all times. Um, you know, there are. There are restrictions on how long an animal can be tethered, um, but that doesn't apply if they're on a pulley system. Um, so, yes, uh, food, shelter, water, adequate ex exercise, but what that means is, you know, enough not to lose muscle mass. You know, do they have, you know, room to roam? Um, and in, in the case you were referring to, they met all those requirements. Okay. And. You know, for myself, it's horrifying to think like a senior animal is kept outside at all times, but basically that that isn't against the law. People it's are not against the law. Do that. Um, it, along with that shelter, you know, they have to provide again. It has to have um, a top, a bottom has to be raised off the ground, um, has to all sides, you know, um, have at least three sides and they need to provide bedding. Bedding is a requirement to help against the elements, clean bedding. Um, and all that was provided. Okay. Um, I want to kind of understand or find out from you, like the process involved in in dog neglect cases, and perhaps you have some. You obviously have some experience with this, and can explain it to us or me in particular. Um, how often? How often? Like, let's say on average a year, do dog neglect cases come up as far as calls well do you mean cases or complaints complaints let's okay. start with complaints often often we i i can't i mean we have so many complaints um and you know a lot of them are education based where you're just you know you're 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 meeting the law which you could do a little better yeah right education um some could be, uh, you know, you're not quite needing it, but it's not horrific. Let's give you more education, give you some resources, give you the tools to do it. Um, it could be you're, you know, you're clearly not meeting it. Um, you know, citation. Um, I mean, there's different things we can do. We can issue a written warning. Um, we can cite for it. Now, under 41.12c, the first, so the first, um, is an infraction. 
the fine is minimal. I think it's like $50. Um, a second infraction in a 12 month period of that code is another infraction citation of, I think about $100. A third infraction in a 12 month, in the same 12 month period, um, then can be a misdemeanor. Um, and that could be, I believe, I think it's like a fine up to $1,000 or jail time of, you know, um, less, uh, no more than a year. It, this is, uh, yeah. The fines may have changed, but that's about the understood. Jail. And so the way it sounds is that basically, like after 12 months, every, any past history is pretty much erased. Hmm. Yeah. So, and so, I mean, this is 41.12 C. So this is, you know, minor neglect when yeah. we're talking about starving dogs dying, you know, with deceased dogs in the yard, like that kind of thing. That's then, then we're going penal code. That's, that's different. That's 597 B. So, um, just to, okay. There's a difference. So understand about the number of calls that come in. What about the number of cases that, that you, the, you, that ACC has has a has has a hand in building or presenting i mean we have a lot of cases but they you know to i i wouldn't be able to in my brain separate them out from the cruelty and versus neglect i mean those two different things right yeah. physical harm versus you know the neglect um versus you know wildlife violation stuff like yeah. that um so i I couldn't uh -huh. give you a number. I'm sorry. Okay. No, that's fine. And then, but let's say just thinking of those numbers, which you can't give me, but thinking of them, how many of them are, are taken by the district attorney? So that's a hard one to say kind of, you know, cause all right. So if it goes in as an infraction, right? So if it's an infraction, we don't hear about it. Right. Cause that's a fine. We don't hear about it unless someone's you know, trying to appeal it or, you know, and then there, we get message that, hey, we need you to come bring what you have for this. Um, if we, if it was a situation where we were able to cite at the time um, for a misdemeanor, then it would be, we have to hurry up and pull that case file together real quick, get it to the district attorney. And once we do, I mean, we don't always know the outcome. I mean, we have to keep checking. It's not necessarily where they reach out to us. Um, it could be dismissed by the judge. Um, it could be, I, I mean, there's so many, and you know, if you've ever been through um, a criminal case, there's pre-conference trial, there's pre-conference hearings. I mean, there's all these meetings before you actually get to, you know, an actual trial. Um, and I'd say more often than not, it doesn't go to a trial, either it gets dropped, dismissed, or it gets pled out. Um, so to be able to pull those numbers, I mean, I mean, we, you know, if they don't call us to either come testify or for, you know, for anything regarding the case, we sometimes don't know. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously if it comes to, um, you know, if it goes through a trial and there's a conclusion, we're going to know because we'll be a part of the trial. But, you know, if if there's a plea deal and um, it doesn't involve like a no animal condition or something like that, that we have to be in the know about, we we might not know. Yeah. And actually, that was going to be my next question of those cases that do go that the district attorney does actually, you know, represent how many of them are thrown out by the judge. And uh, I, I don't know numbers, but that does happen. So it's not. It's not just 
the district attorney not taking cases. I mean, it gets thrown out by the judge and their um, AB, what was it, like 3224, something like there's their um, legislation passed that, you know, judges have the discretion for any misdemeanors to send them to diversion. Um, and I would say a lot of our case, a lot of our misdemeanor cases, majority of misdemeanor cases, that's where they're going. Um, they go, you know, goes in front of the judge, right to diversion, um, which then, um, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation to, to try to describe diversion, but it's like neighborhood courts or, you know, something like that. And if they, um, you know, follow the recommendations and complete what is asked of them, then there's no, um, then the case gets dismissed. Hmm. Um, and when they go to neighborhood courts, the problem, problem with that is that you can't apply a no animal condition. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thank you. Um, my last question is, um, concerning current legislation or the current law concerning dogs and being outside, um, do you think, do you think that that should change? What, what are your thoughts? I mean, what would you, what would you ideally, what would you, what would you think? I mean, honestly, there's, as far as animal welfare laws go, they can be stronger. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, across the board, there's, there's areas for improvement. Um, for your specific question though, about a senior animal with health issues be kept outside. I think my head kind of exploded when I read that. Cause I was like, I don't, wouldn't, where would you even start? Um, what size dog are we talking about? Uh, what age are you considering senior for what kind of breed versus, you know, and what health issue meets that criteria? I mean, that's a whole, you know what I mean? Like that was so, yeah, I wouldn't even know where to start with that. Um, but yeah, can, can animal welfare law, laws be stronger? Sure. I know that I recently spoke with, um, the person who kind of created the, the, I guess you'd say the, the, the law on the animal commission. And she was saying that, you know, concerning tethering and, and other things, um, she was saying, yeah, that that's basically the best that they could do, but, but she thinks that it should be probably looked at again. So maybe that's something we, we can look at. at some well, point. I, I would like to say, um, I think it's important to recognize that there are plenty of people that are living on the street that don't have the option to have their dog inside with them. And that if there's any animal cruelty and welfare law enacted to that harms that population and stigmatizes having that dog off the street simply because it doesn't have a home, it's not a kind reaction. Um, if, if, on the other hand, there is a situation where an animal has opportunity to be inside, well, sure, maybe there are better qualities of life to be had out there. But there are people who are out on the street and that is their only family and that is their only dog and life. And I really can't stand strongly behind not punishing them for not having a home for themselves or their dog. Yeah, and I agree. And I think that, you know, that we can look at all different sides of it. And I think we can have a lot of different voices making a decision, housed and unhoused people, um, communities, making a decision for, you know, to help animals. And definitely, you know, neglect happens regardless if an animal is the guardian is homeless or, you know, unhomeless. 
you know, it's something that needs to be addressed. Though. I'm actually uh, glad you brought that up, Commissioner Tobin, because um, one thing I should specify is that under 41.12 C, when we talked about shelter requirements, yeah. it does specifically. So that shelter requirement does not apply to our unhoused community. Okay. So that so that's ensuring that that's stipulated and then there no yes. stigmas. Yeah. For and that was one thing that um that yeah when it was originally created on the commission that they that they indicated. So. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Are there? I think those are my questions. Thank you so much again for your time and for your answers. Uh, I learned a lot. Do any uh, commissioners have any questions or any comments before we open up for public comment? Okay, seeing none, does anyone have a public comment they'd like to make? Okay, please approach the podium. Thank you. When I adopt a cat, I like to know where it came from and value as much information as I can get. Often on websites, I see rescues, including where they pulled an animal from. It seems paranoid and against full disclosure for ACC to drop a partner who's telling the truth about where the rescue animal was from. One would think that ACC, uh, turn when they turn an animal over to a rescue, something is positively re being reflected. It sounds way out of line to dismiss, to dismiss a rescue partner for acknowledging ACC allowed them to rescue an animal. Thank you. Okay, thank you for your comments. Are there any other comments? Thank you. Hi, Nadine May. Um, I have quite a few, quite a few comments about the report. Um, one thing that I've brought up again and again, and I'll continue to bring up, is the fact that the CIP hold no longer exists and hasn't existed for several years. I think people don't understand what a CIP hold is. It's basically to save an animal from being killed. It doesn't apply to animals that have behavioral problems that can go to other rescue groups. Um, none, I've saved five, at least five animals with my CIP over the years. All of them passed behavior. One of them then bit somebody. I got a call. I went down, got him. He's been adopted by my neighbor who adores him, and he's never bitten anybody else. My sister's cat, Barney, was turned down at ACC because he didn't like other cats. That was a reason for him to be euthanized in that point. My sister adopted him. He's an only cat. He's fine. But that cat, Barney, would have been killed. Bobby would have been killed because he had a skin condition, which was treatable. I went down there. I didn't ask any questions. I got him. I got him out. I think um, the veterinarian who used Dr. O'Neill has said in the past that she really didn't think that the CIP should be there because people posed too many questions about the animal, about why the animal was going to be euthanized. Well, it's very simple. You have an agreement, a written agreement, that if somebody applies for a CIP hold, they have to sign that agreement, and that says 
If they get a call about an animal, it's going to be euthanized. They come down there and get the animal without any questions asked. They don't question the vet about why or what. They simply say, okay. yes, I'll take the vet. I'll um, take the animal. Is, sorry to interrupt. Your time, time is up. The comment time is up. Okay. Sorry. Thank you. That's only one of my comments about the report. Thank you for your comment. Are there any other comments? Yes. Please approach. Hi everyone, um, I'm Catherine. Um, so I just want to comment on uh, ACC being at capacity. I think hearing this worries me a lot, and it makes me question if this is the cost where ACC is not responding quickly to neglect and cruelty because um, they're just out of capacity. And if there's an animal that needs to be rescued, it's just another animal in ACC. So that's my comment. That's my um, worry. Also regarding the senior dog, the German, uh, German Shepherd that was neglected for years. Um, I do believe that um, we should use this case to strengthen the law 41.12C. Um, because it could be an edu educational uh, problem that some dog owners don't really know what laws they're breaking or really how to take care of a dog. But I do believe that after uh, several reports being made, there should be a citation, a warning, especially if they have other dogs in the property. So that's my comment. Okay. Thank you Thank so you. much. Commissioner Torres, can I respond please? Uh, you are, yes, go ahead and respond. Thank you for asking. ACC is full. We're at capacity. When we're at capacity, we ask finders to hold the animal. We reach out to our volunteers and ask them to take dogs into foster or on extended field trips. Staff even takes animals home to foster. We absolutely do not ignore complaints about cruelty or abuse or neglect. We respond to all those calls and if an animal needs to be taken in, it will be taken in. Okay, thank you. Um, any other, Any yes, please approach the podium. Thank you. Hi, I'm Madeline. I just have a few questions and they don't need to be answered. They're just rhetorical questions. Um, how does the ACC eval evaluate each dog as a case-by-case -case basis following the criteria for abuse that's on the website? How can we know as the public that you're not just posting the rubric and guidelines and that they're actually following the letter of the law? For the older German Shepherd Duke, it's too late, but how can we know for certain that ACC is properly evaluating the safety and well-being of the second dog in the backyard? Is there evidence of food, water, and shelter that cannot be seen by neighbors because, as opposed to the neighbors, they have not been able to see that? Do, how do you access the backyard or evaluate a dog if the owner does not let them inside? What are the grounds for rescuing or removing a dog from neglect? And if there are animal cruelty charges, does that mean that the dog has to be removed? And why, if there are multiple calls, can they not remove the dog? Is there evidence based on if, if there's evidence based on neglect, yet there's not, there's a way knowing that the law is being followed? Okay. Okay. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? Or rather comments, I should say. Okay, uh, seeing none, we can close public comments. 
Moving on to items to be put on the agenda. Well, first of all, again, thank you, uh, Deputy Director Corso, for the updates and reports and discussion. Uh, we look forward to continuing this discussions, especially concerning live animal market cruelty calls and dog neglect calls in the city. So, moving on to our uh, second to last agenda item, items to be put on the agenda for future commission meetings. Our next meeting will be on Thursday, March 14th. This meeting will be held in room 408 at City Hall, along with remote access via WebEx. Please reach out to me the Friday before our March meeting with any proposed agenda items and any supporting documents. For our next meeting, that will be Friday, March 8th. The agenda and any supporting documents provided to the commission by that time will be uploaded to our website at sf.gov forward slash animal commission. This will be done the Monday evening before the meeting. So for our next meeting, that will be Monday, March 11th. For our March meeting, we tentatively have Project Coyote on the agenda. We will be confirming that shortly. Uh, do any commissioners have any questions or anything else to add? Okay, if there's nothing further, we can adjourn. It is now 7.07 .07 p.m. and we are adjourned. Good night, everyone, and thank you for being a part of tonight's meeting. See you next month. <laughs>